0: This is Stephanie Krupsack with the Pierpont Living Podcast, Things You Should Know. With me today, I have Jim Couples. Jim is a technologist from Springfield, Oregon, whose work has primarily been in creating and organizing public data sets. Jim is the co founder of the site Run for Office, an address searchable political database that now holds over 150,000 elected offices and remains available to the public for free. Since 2019, Jim has focused his attention on creating tools to help farmers and also to promote local food sources that use sustainable and regenerative methods. Jim recently co-founded All The Farms, a new project that allows users to find local farms and filter on farming practices. Jim frequently works with Oregon State University computer science students on their year-long capstone projects, which often involve regenerative agriculture. So thank you so much for being here today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Um, it's, it's fun for me to talk about regenerative ag, so I'm here and very ready.
0: <laughs> so let's first start with how we first met.
1: Sure. So we met um, via the lexicon, which mm-hmm. is, for those that don't know and perhaps want to join us, uh, it's mm-hmm. an online community. And what's really cool is it's not just the United States or North America. But it stretches all around the world. I mean, you're over there in Europe, and and we Mm -hmm. got to connect. So I I love that fact about it. And I also really like the diversity of people that comment. So we have people like myself who work in ag tech, and I'll post articles and and my thoughts. And we have farmers as part of our community, uh, food brokers, food distributors, people making packaged goods. So it really runs the gamut and and that's where we met and it's a great place where other people that are interested in food systems should meet
0: yeah definitely i'd encourage others to join if you have any questions after you can always ask us more but yeah it's a great community and it's really interesting to kind of see where others are sharing local articles and things that are happening that you might not be aware of or if you're trying to get more into that space for improving food systems is what they focus on so yeah so maybe tell us a little bit more about your background on regenerative agriculture and maybe explain what that term means for those that it's a new term for them.
1: Sure. So regenerative agriculture has been tremendously popular over the past two to three years. Uh, but in actuality, it has been going on for thousands of years. And in a nutshell, regenerative agriculture means Uh, Leaving the soil in better condition than when you started and that's for either growing food or raising some type of livestock on there, whether you're, you know, uh, chicken eggs or whatever else. It means having uh, having that place uh, where the animals or plants were uh, that the soil is better and can therefore be continued. And it's it's a good thing. Right. Uh, So. What we look at when we're talking about the soil being better, that usually means things like um, having root systems that are in the ground throughout the year. And, and those are really important because they'll retain water. And if you retain water, then your good topsoil doesn't wash away. Um, it means having more microbial activity in the soil. And that's a good thing, right? There's, there's all these sorts of things that go on underneath us when we're walking and uh that's all very very important having having a lot of nutrients and and minerals that are that are occurring there as well as uh bugs insects worms all those things are are really important for good soil and and they shouldn't be shunned away now so so regenerative ag just means like the planet being a better place after you harvest or raise something on it but the really interesting thing uh, that I see in regenerative agriculture is that it's becoming uh, more and more prominent on our shelves and in our conversation, especially as we talk about climate change and how it might help there. Uh, regenerative ag is is a way that more carbon stays in the soil because you don't uh, till it as much, which releases uh, carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, mm-hmm. But the the interesting part is it's it's really in front of us now. However. A hard, fast definition of regenerative agriculture doesn't exist. And in that way, it's considerably different than something like certified organic. Um, Certified organic is a super hard definition that is set by the U.S. Department of Agriculture and then a bunch of other entities verify that that is occurring. But it's it's a very black and white uh, situation. Um, I see that from a macro level, right? There's probably a lot of places in the gray if you get in the weeds, but in general, something is either certified organic or they're not. Um, that's not the case with regenerative agriculture. There are some really popular organizations out there. There's a wonderful one called the Rodale Institute. They do a heck of a lot of work on regenerative ag and organic, and they've been doing it for decades, so I really admire them. Um... And they have a, a. They just came out with a certification for regenerative ag, but it's you know it's it's their one, and it's it, that definition of what regenerative agriculture is uh, has yet to be defined, and and I'm willing to bet it will be within the next oh I would say two years, maybe at the tops five, but consumers and the wider industry are, are going to want a hard definition on it, I believe, and and we're probably headed that way. But right now it's it's nebulous and there's people that can claim regenerative agriculture and it's it's a bit up to all of us to kind of better understand our understand our food system to know what that means. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I guess from my side I recently read an article on regenerative farming in hemp. So in that respect I know that yeah, crop rotation, making sure that you're having that which helps the soil where plants like hemp can help the uh, soil kind of replenish the nutrients and also sequester carbon from the atmosphere, things like that. So it's all very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot that um, that crop rotation means. And, and hemp as I think I've seen it also used as a cover crop, which is really impressive. Um, actually, I have seen it as that. And I believe the Rodale Institute are the ones who did that research. And it's tremendously okay. beneficial. So you just mentioned something that I neglected, uh, crop rotation. And that's another part of regenerative ag. That's, that's really important. Uh, and cover crops and, and uh, livestock integration. So it's, it's a bit nebulous, uh, but it's really important. And I think, I think for me, like the, the big message to put in a nutshell is the earth uh, should be better off following whatever you're doing. And that's regenerative agriculture. The soil should be better off um, and not depleting it or making it worse for your next cycle of growing, but making it better.
0: It's kind of a, a big issue because if the soil doesn't have as much nutrients and the vegetables and things that you're growing will also not have as many nutrients in them that we're eating. So it's kind of this whole cycle that we need to be really conscious of.
1: I agree. Right. It's so what we really have is like a twofer. And it's a twofer in a very positive way or it's a twofer in a negative way. And in, the, in a twofer in a positive way, it's like if you're going to eat regenerative agriculture, not only are you going to be doing something better for the environment, you'll be using less, if any, pesticides or applications or things like that that, that get into our waterways. So there's a good environmental aspect of it but you're also getting more nutrient dense foods. And that's really important. So your, your carrots are even better for your eyesight, and you know, all, all, all the things uh, that go into healthy vegetables, and really why, you know, why we eat them. Sure, they're delicious, but you feel better after eating healthy. So you've got these two really positive things that occur when you're eating regenerative agriculture. And then on the other side of that seesaw, there are two very negative things, say, when we don't consider how our food is raised. And that is both uh, environmental degradation, um, where things just get a little bit incrementally worse. And if you do that for enough decades, things can get really bad. Uh, uh, so there's, there's one. And then as well, you have more empty calories, where you're eating foods and not getting uh, the same nutrients and vitamins that you should be getting from them. So, yeah, to your point, regenerative ag um, has been proven to be more nutrient dense or simply healthier for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like two part for person and planet. So, yeah, all good. <laughs> so, do you want to tell us more about all the farms? So, that sounds like a really great collaborative network you're in the process of making.
1: Yeah, so all the farms is one of those projects where to me it's like i'm flattered to get to work on it um and i you know i kind of pinch myself at the opportunity to build something that can potentially help people so straightforward all the farms is simply a website where people can enter their address and see their local farms and they can also filter on things to make it easier so you can filter on product um, by, by default, it filters on location because we think it's really important to understand who your local farmers and ranchers are. Um, but the other things that we allow are filtering for farming practices. And that's where it comes into regenerative ag. So regenerative ag is very nebulous. Um, we, we haven't pinned down this hard definition on it, but we think that we identify the big pillars of regenerative ag and allow people to filter on them. And that would be some we just mentioned, crop rotation, cover crops, uh, no-till or reduced till, which mm-hmm. is regarding to plowing the field, um, livestock integration, and I am embarrassingly spacing on the last one, but there, you know, there's, there's four or five big pillars in the farming practices for generative ag. So we allow you to filter on that. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we also allow people to filter on ownership um, because although that's not exactly tied into regenerative agriculture, uh, my, my partner and I just felt it was important. And we thought that it was crazy that you couldn't filter for something like a woman led farm that was growing apples or a veteran led, veteran led rancher, um, or a BIPOC led farm. And it, it really kind of crystallized for both of us we just we just added the ownership filter last uh, this past June and okay. it was the it was the holiday of Juneteenth that really made us do it where it was like Juneteenth is coming up and I think I think it might be this year that it was the first recognized federal holiday. Oh no, this is gonna sound crazy, but it was in Trump's last year I believe he made it uh, a federal recognized so if, for two years, I believe Juneteenth has been a rec- federal-recognized holiday, and it's, it's raised up more in our consciousness, and it was just this year, and I'm embarrassed to think about it so late, but it was like, hey, Juneteenth, why aren't we buying from black farmers on this day that we celebrate you know, black uh, liberation in the United States? And to me, that was such a no-brainer. And it was disappointing to be like, well, we we can't do that because it's not easy to find. Well, heck, you know, like we work in this space. Maybe we can make it easy to find. So whether it's buying from woman-led farms for Mother's Day, BIPOC-led farms for Juneteenth, um, I'm a military veteran. I think it might be nice to get whatever your your 4th of July spread, if you can get it from a, a veteran farmer or rancher, that would be cool. Um, and all those things that I'm talking about, they just make the consumer more familiar with who's growing their food. So it's a good thing, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. So, so we're, we're really into regenerative agriculture with uh, all the farms. And we're also into identifying ownership uh, because we think both of those things are important. And they're not... They're not tied together in like a mandatory way, but in our minds, they are associated. A, a better food system with better growing practices, well, a better food system also means more diverse ownership and, and more fairness in, in who's owning land. And I've got to say, I, I know I'm a bit rambling, but, but farmland is expensive and we have a lot of older farmers. And I hang out a lot with younger farmers and people like that. And they're willing to work really, really hard. And at the same time, it's really difficult to get the money together to buy a farm or even lease farmland. And working on a farm doesn't make you a millionaire. You do a lot of hard work for not a lot of money. Um, So it's important to also identify younger farmers. So we have a filter for farmers under 40. Right, I'm over 40, so I think that's young, but, <laughs> <laughs> right? but, but I, think, I think that's another thing that's really important, uh, making sure that there's equity, not just on gender, not just on race, but also on age. We've got to have young people more involved too. Um, so all the farms allows you to enter your address to see all that local stuff. And on the other side of the equation, if you're a farm, you can upload your information and, and then people can find it more easily. Great
0: cool. And I know last time we chatted, you talked about not from the consumer side, but from the farmer side, that they can actually search and see what other farms are growing nearby. So that can kind of fill in the gaps of what produce might be missing in the area. Maybe talk more about that.
1: Yeah. So that is one of the observations that you get when you work in technology that you only get when you put your beloved project out in the world for others to use. So Chris and I had developed all the farms, and we finally had it in a stage where people could start using it. So we connected with people um, that we know firsthand and then other ones through important organizations like the extension services, and they're throughout every state, um, and kind of like the small farm networks. So we told the other uh, small farms, hey, we have this tool. Please check it out. Upload your farm. Tell us what you think. And in our mind, you know, we're looking at it uh, uh, not so much as farmers, but people that want to shop local. So in our mind, it was like, hey, the farmers will be really psyched for this, and they'll use it as their marketing tool so that they could, you know, be better found by their local, you know, uh, demand. But how they used it was uh, not what we thought. Uh, The farmers were looking at it to understand better Who else was growing what um, within their community? So, you know, farms are kind of often big stretches of land and you can be a little bit physically isolated um, because you're you're farther away. There's less, you know, people per square mile. So although you may understand what your adjacent farms and and neighbors are growing or raising, it's a bit harder to understand what people five miles, ten miles away might be growing at the same time, you, you don't want everyone growing strawberries when there's also public demand for blueberries. So what we found was that farmers and ranchers were using our site, you know, sure for the marketing, but also to better understand what the other people were growing around them. And what's important for farms is not to step on each other's toes. Um, you know, it's, it's okay if, you know, there's going to be common crops in, uh, that are grown in an area. But you don't want to have everything the same, right? There's, there's a place for heirloom tomatoes and cherries, and there's a bunch of different varieties of apples and blueberries and, and all these things. So they were using it more to better understand uh, what other people in their community were growing. And, and I work a lot with, with small and medium-sized farms and the truth of the matter is, you know, they might make the decision on what they're going to grow for maybe a quarter of their, their acreage in January. So there's, you know, they're, they're not, they'll, they'll change according to what the public demand is and, of course, what their supply is. So we want to find that good balance um, that for the market. And they were using our tool so that they weren't overloaded on the supply side with the same thing. Right? It'd be like crazy disappointing if you show up at the farmers market and everyone's got the same thing. It stinks for the consumer and it stinks for the farms. So, so that's how they were using it, and we were psyched about that. And and then uh, Chris and I, Chris Stiles, my partner, said, "Hey, maybe we should start thinking about building them a dashboard and make it even easier so that they could just drum this stuff up really, really quickly." And, and that's how we've been using it. And we, we wouldn't have known that. Um, you know, we're just by ourselves working on something and whiteboarding it up and chatting on Slack. We don't know what's gonna it's going to be like in the real world. Um, so it's great to get products out there and you see how people are using it and you go, oh, hey, that's smart. Um, let's <laughs> Let's lean into that.
0: Yeah. It's great to see how things evolve. And you're right. You don't know until you put it out there and things will kind of naturally shift where they're supposed to go. So, yeah. So kind of looking at your background, and you've been working with the University of Oregon and different organizations, is there one experience that kind of led you on this path of working in regenerative farming that you can think of, or has it been kind of a compilation of things?
1: You know, it's a compilation of things. But I would say, as soon as people start poking around and wondering about local farms, and and right now is like a great time of year where that happens. So this is when we start going to farms to do pumpkin picking, right? So as soon as like I think you start doing things like that um, and and taking it the step beyond, um, you start to wonder, you know, what are my local farms? And then an natural evolution of that for a lot of us is how are they growing that? You know, like what what's behind that? And and as soon as you start asking a question or two there. You find out about different farming practices, and and then you can you 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 sooner or later stumble upon regenerative agriculture. So, you know, my experience with getting into regenerative agriculture was just out of a closer examination of the local food system. And I should also say my, my parents live in Florida and they live on the west coast on the Gulf of Mexico side. And where near where they live. They have, would sometimes have these things called red tide warnings, and you couldn't like go in the ocean, and and then you couldn't eat fish. It was it's really bad, right? Like it's bad not just for what we're eating and the livelihoods that depend upon that, but it's bad because who the heck wants to live like near the ocean that you can't go into, right? like, So now a, a direct cause of that is chemical runoff. Um, that ends up getting into the waterways and ends up uh, flushing out to the bays in the ocean near near us. So, you know, that was something that's kind of like forced in front of you. It was a national news story, and it was even more acute for me because my my parents were living by there. Um, But you have to wonder, why is that happening? And is there something different? and and then you get into the rabbit hole of regenerative agriculture which is a positive rabbit hole not a negative one but i i remember the first book that i read on regenerative agriculture and i, I super duper recommend it, is the soil will save us and i'm i'm spacing on the name of the author but it's a wonderful book and it's about someone that was very similar to me before i understood regenerative agriculture and and they didn't know much about it, and they they find that people have been farming um, using these methods that are very holistic and not using a lot of inputs, and the earth is better off for it, and so are their plants. And it's amazing. And you go, why isn't everyone doing that? And there are real good reasons why everyone's not doing that. But we, you know, we can also say, hey, we make decisions as a society to build bridges and do other things that that uh, benefit us all. And I believe that moving towards regenerative farming is, is similar to that. Um, so my my gateway to finding out about regenerative agriculture was really just um, a deepening interest in, who are my local farms? Oh, okay, that's cool. This is what they grow. Oh, wow, that guy is certified organic. This woman is not certified organic. What's the difference? Oh, you know, they, she's using actually these different methods that aren't certified, which is like what Regenerative Ag was. And you just kind of dig deeper, trying to understand what our local farms are doing. And, and that's how I ended up in the space. And um, oh, I would say that was probably four or five years ago that it's been on my radar and, and I was really interested in it. And then so on, on top of all of that is this opportunity for carbon sequestration. And you know, climate change is no longer something that's far off. It's something that we live with. In Oregon, we have like four weeks where we have bad air quality because our state's on fire. And and you know that can be drawn back uh, to climate change, um, not solely. And I don't want to argue <laughs> with people like on the weeds on the uh, on, on some of this, but I, I think it's. Um, absolutely for sure that, that it gets hotter and along with hotter, things dry out more and we're more susceptible to wildfires, we're more susceptible to floods, uh, hurricanes, and all sorts of, of events that are really extreme, right? Like that's what climate change does. It, it, it opens us up to these very extreme events. Um, so understanding that carbon is a big factor in that and that regenerative agriculture is a system which keeps more carbon in the ground, also made it really important to me to find more about, and and had my interest.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, in a way, you kind of answered this next question. But what do you want people to take away mainly from your efforts? Maybe more about climate change, or what are a couple of key points that you think that you'd like others to know?
1: You know, I I would like others to simply know that they can and should investigate their local food systems because there's a lot of products you can buy um, that are local and you'll be putting more money directly into a farmer or rancher's hands, um, which is really beneficial for them. And as you start buying more local and have that interest, you'll find out more about their lives, which is respectful. So I, I would just encourage people to look into their local food systems more and, and understand more about how it's grown. And I, I won't guide anyone any further on that. You know, if you don't think that regenerative agriculture is important, well, I, I can't convince you. And, and I still wish you like success and health and, and all that other good stuff. So I, I also try not to preach to the choir. And if you notice on all the farms, every darn farm is welcome there. I, I, you know, whether you're doing regenerative agriculture or not, I would like people to understand how to find you and buy your products if if you want them to. Um, I, and I believe that approach is important because I didn't want to just set up a website that's for regenerative farms. I want to set it up for all the farms and then maybe you'll use our tools to start looking into regenerative agriculture. But I, I think it's really important that it's just... Not me, like building a website for you, right? Like we people that are already in the know and like it. If we really want to change, we have to welcome people that don't have our perspective or our interests um, or priorities and then make the case for it legitimately. And, and that's what I hope all the farms does. So I hope they use our tool or other tools to better understand who are my local farmers? What are they growing? How do I buy their product?
0: I think that's great to have a very inclusive platform where everybody's invited and they can start to learn what maybe other techniques farms are doing. They can learn from each other and then maybe change their practices for the better. So, yeah, and what you said, I I agree that you can't force something on somebody. You can, you know, share it and encourage. But it's almost like when I started cooking vegan food, I would have it. And if I told somebody it's vegan, they wouldn't try it. But if I wouldn't tell them it was vegan, they try it and like it. So it's really interesting. You have to kind of just ease people into it and lead by example, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, my wife and my son are both vegan Okay, and I'm not, but I have gone through periods where I am vegan. I, I think my, my, my wife, her interest in eating vegan led to my interest in also understanding our local food system. Um, and you know because she was concerned about what she was buying and, and, and her diet was different and very purposefully ate one way. Um, you know, that 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 helped me have more interest, um, in this. So, I don't even know if I would have built this or, or been on this tack if uh if not for having a wonderful spouse who also is vegan. Um, you know, I mean, just by I think the very nature of, of being vegan. Uh, kind of makes a statement that says, well, I'm going to put more effort into what I eat and and I want to eat this. And it's, it's, it's a, a little bit closer of a next step to say like, yeah, I'm, I am also really concerned about where it's coming from and what's that, what's that like?
0: So I know you also touched upon this too, but what would you say is one of the biggest impacts that you think your work can have on the environment or society?
1: Well, you know, the biggest impact that we could have would be towards successfully getting people to look more closely at their regional food system or their local farms um, that to me I guess that's my that's my low hanging fruit goal would be to investigate that, and then my my next goal would be. That they make an active choice to buy directly from farms that are led by the people that they think need support in our system, or that are growing um, in conditions that they think is important. Um, so that and and that when they don't have that opportunity uh, to buy directly from those farms, you know, say you're in a spot and there's not regenerative ag going around near you or a farmer under 40 or a BIPOC-led farm. Well, heck, please ask for that at your co-op, your grocery store or whatever. We have to make noise. You know, I, I, I come from like a business background, right? And, and the reality is is that um, you have to let people know that you're willing to pay for something before if it's having a challenge getting onto the shelves. And a lot of the time, people will assume that we're strictly about our pocketbook and that if one bag of carrots costs $2 and this one costs $3, I'm always going to opt for the $2 one. Well, that's, that's wrong. And that's just very convenient thinking for some people because it, it makes the equation of what I'm going to offer the public very, very simple. Oh, I'll just offer the lowest thing per unit. Um... We have to speak out against that. And we have to say, hey, I noticed that there's no local farms on the shelves. What's up with that? I wanna keep shopping here. Um, I noticed that there's nothing certified organic. I noticed that I don't see anything about regenerative ag. You know, we, we've got to embrace our power as consumers and as, as people in that marketplace. Um, so, so we have to speak up more when we see that the things that we want aren't locally available or available on our, our shelves. So I, I, you know, like, you know, connect with your local farms or ask your local favorite restaurant, you know, and and ask those places where you're spending money because that's where you have power. It's where you're spending money. And, and that's a really like hardcore business pillar. (laughs) So we spend a lot of money. Uh, Food is in the trillions for on in the world market. It's it's somewhere between probably like fifteen to twenty percent of like the earth's GDP. That's a, we so we could change a lot. And we have we have powers as as consumers. Let's not ignore them and, and try to be as active or proactive as possible.
0: Yeah. And like you said, if you maybe ask your favorite grocery store, oh, could you carry this product for me or more organic? And if they start to see that move off the shelves faster because people actually like that, they're going to get more of it. So yeah, you're right. We have more power than we think sometimes as consumers.
1: We do, you know, and, and I often like will give the example of supermarkets and and they they kind of believe that you're just going to go for the least expensive thing. Even in some of the more expensive supermarkets, like say Whole Foods or or the kind of the nicer ones, they're generally assuming that you're gonna go for that. Um, But they're wrong. And and I often give the example of like craft beer, right? Back in the 1980s, it was hard to find craft beer in supermarkets. And they would say, no one's gonna pay $10 for a six pack when you've got a Budweiser right here for $5. No one's gonna buy beer that's brown and they've never tasted it before or it's, you know, there there's no commercial behind that. They don't have Spuds McKenzie. How are they going to succeed? Well, they were wrong for like 30 years in a row. Year over year, the craft brew industry kept on growing and people were willing to pay that money. And and we only got there because sooner or later, those stores said, oh, wow, we're losing out to these uh, niche places that they're going to buy beer. I guess we have to bring on these brands. and And we can do that. So that's an example of the consumer... Um, you know, kind of dictating what the supermarket's going to to share with them um, so they're they're wrong they will they will automatically think that you want to spend less money and that you don't care about tomorrow like you <laughs> be impending flood or wildfire and, and that's wrong and especially when you get down to younger generations that think about their lives on this planet or their children's lives and and you know have some compassion <laughs> for people outside themselves it's not just about the $2 mega of carrots versus the $3. It's about having a better food experience, enriching your local um, ecosystem, and, and also caring better for this planet.
0: Yeah, most definitely. So here's a question that's quite broad, but what does preserving the environment mean to you?
1: Um, preserving the environment means to me not making permanent changes... That affect the biodiversity, and I hate to use that fancy term, um, but um, you know, in general, preserving the environment means that the animals and the insects and the microorganisms that are there should continue to be there um, if you know, despite uh, our presence as humans that build things. And so, to me, that's a preserving the environment means, and sometimes that might even take an effort of our own to preserve the environment um, or restore environment, like wetlands. You'll see a lot of things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to me, it's 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 very um, it's it's a, it's taking a really wide lens view of what's previously existing there and making sure that it can continue to exist, and that goes down from all of the action that goes underneath our soil and the microbial activity all the way up to the beautiful birds and and the other animals that we see, um, you know, in a specific environment.
0: Is there one eco or sustainable ritual that you do daily or weekly that you encourage listeners to maybe try?
1: I don't know if I do anything say on like a consistent basis Outside of, I'm I'm fortunate in that my work every day like puts me in touch with regenerative agriculture in one fashion or another. So I feel lucky that like Monday through Friday and even on the weekends because I, I like how I, I like my work. So there's times where you know on Saturdays and Sundays I'm at a farm or or doing something that's involved with my work. So I wish I had a better answer for that. Uh, But no, there's not much that I do in, say, a consistent thing. I've kind of got to, you know, to be able to make a living, I've got to, like, stay on top of these things and and be aware. Uh, One of the things I do, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but, hey, this is what people might want to do as far as something consistent that I do to kind of, like, stay in touch with a bag put a Google alert on your newsfeed for regenerative agriculture. And every day you'll get like great articles on that. You know, it's very, very, you know, techno forward or whatever, but that's something that consistently happens on a daily basis for me. That puts me in touch with new news um, for our, our shared planet and and this little niche industry we're in.
0: I like that. I do that as well too, for different topics. So I write a lot about CBD. So that's one of mine as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So do you have a personal mantra or theme song that kind of gets you in a good um, state of mind or redirects your mindset for a fun question?
1: Hmm. Um, I love music and I think it has a really big impact on how we're feeling um, for a lot of stuff. So I had just rewatched the Ken Burns documentary on country music. So I've been like really into country music from uh, folk music and the early 1900s when it was really finding its roots. So I don't know, like, uh, will the circle be unbroken, which is like an old gospel hymn that that became a country song that puts me in a good mood. Okay. (laughs) It's it's a really rocking one in the right company where people Mm -hmm. do it really well.
0: Very fun. Well, I know that you mentioned one of your favorite books earlier, too. Do you have any other books or podcasts you'd recommend for those interested in regenerative agriculture?
1: Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, I am a huge fan of podcasts. I listen to them a lot. So I listen to The Future of Agriculture. I think that's a a really great one for our industry. And then other than that, I stay on top of a lot of business podcasts. So I'll do like business and news. So there's a, there's, a, there's a tech one that I'm really interested in. It's called Stratechery by Ben Thompson. Uh, that one I would really encourage people to check out. He kind of gets in the weeds a lot on the tech side and the business side of things and discusses that. Um, another one that I think is really enjoyable and, and thought-provoking is Conversations with Tyler which is by the economist, Tyler Cohen, who is, um, you know, he'll describe himself as a libertarian, which is, I'm not a libertarian. I am like Bernie Sanders Jr. when it comes to my politics. So, but I I enjoy hearing from him uh, because I think he's very, very considerate of other opinions. And he comes from, in my view, a not just knee-jerk form of libertarianism that's convenient for posturing, but like a, a more well-thought-out thing. So, and and he has on guests that that just range the spectrum, It sometimes has nothing to do with politics. So I, I really I look forward to seeing that every every week. And then you know uh, the other thing I would say is This American Life, which is like the touchstone for podcasts, and to me that's important as in business. Or as a person, because they're always human stories, and and in the end, that's what it comes down to. I have a favorite quote favorite quote of mine by uh, the labor leader Cesar Chavez, where he said something to the effect of, "It's never about grapes; it's always about people." Right, and and that's it. And and I I, I feel that way with this American life too. I feel that to be good in business or, you know, you, you have to have deep expertise on something, but you also can't be a robot and you have to understand what's motivating people. So this American life is a great source of that because it's these wonderful stories about all of us uh, in this country and sometimes beyond and what motivates us and and how we really act and behave as humans.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. I'll have to post some links to those too. Oh, cool. Episode. Yeah, and lastly, how can listeners reach you? Oh,
1: anyone can always reach me at jim at allthefarms dot com. I am probably remarkably accessible, <laughs> whereas i I respond to people. I I'm fl- always flattered if people want to reach out and talk about my work. Um, there's one thing I want to mention, and that is. I, I, you mentioned that I work a lot with Oregon State University initially, and that I also work sometimes with the University of Oregon. But it, I went to the University of Oregon. That's where I have a degree from. I can throw a rock and hit the university from, from here. I live right near it. But, but OSU, Oregon State, is really where I do most of my efforts. And that's probably because they're the ag school um, for our state, and they also administer the extension program. And I am a huge fan of the extension programs throughout the United States. Uh, To me, they're like the only institution that doesn't have their hand in the farmer or rancher's pocket, Um, right? Like to me, there's, and and so I've got a lot of good feelings towards them. Most other industries that I've seen in my travels and and, and work in this field, um, you know, when they're talking to you it's part of a pitch. And, and so I'm a big fan of the extension service and that's administered by Oregon State. And, and I work a lot with them and, and, and their students there too. A lot of them are are, are are young women and men that are from farmer families and they're going to the ag school and then they're gonna go back home. And, and I love working with them and, and working with engineering students and trying to prototype stuff that we think is going to uh, make their lives better and, and get us closer to better farming practices.
0: That's great. Well, thank you for sharing all of that and everything about regenerative agriculture and all that you're doing. So sure everybody appreciated learning a bit more about it. And yeah, thanks again for being a guest and thank you everybody for listening.
1: Can I say thank you for creating this platform where we can talk and spread this message? So, you know, uh, Mutual Admiration Club, thank you for creating a podcast that, that allows us to spread out the message and make new friends and share our viewpoints
0: yeah all things good (laughs) so thanks again everybody and have a great rest of your day